The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. I take full responsibility for everything this government has been doing in tackling coronavirus, and I'm very proud of our record. Tens of thousands of our citizens have died avoidably. These were unnecessary deaths because of systematic government misconduct. With good British common sense, we will continue to defeat this virus and take this country forward. There are a lot of green shoots of opportunity on the horizon. You know, we've been held down on the forest floor for far too long, and we will reach that canopy again. Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Sebastian Salek. And a very good afternoon. I'm Roger Hearing. Now, it's an interesting day of many ways. We start with what, well, it's been described as a very British coup of a kind. The government failed to get its preferred candidate elected as chair of the Intelligence and Security Committee. The former minister, Chris Grayling, was beaten by his fellow Tories, Julian Lewis, who worked with the opposition to win the vote by five to four. The Conservatives have since removed the party whip from Lewis, but he's now in charge of arguably the country's most important parliamentary watchdog as it prepares and indeed has announced that it's going to try to publish next week the report into alleged Russian meddling in UK politics, which is believed to name several Tory donors. Yeah, that's the critical thing, isn't it? We're watching very closely for the details of that report, but some high-class political manoeuvring, I think you could call it last night. We'll have to talk about that in a minute. But there's another report the government is supposedly sitting on as well. The FT citing Whitehall officials who say that an investigation into bullying allegations against Priti Patel, the Home Secretary, is being held back by Number 10 over fears it could cause some embarrassment. The senior civil servant in charge of the inquiry is also leaving her position. And that heightened speculation, the government is clearing the way for Patel to be exonerated of these allegations. So plenty to talk about in terms of uh, reports and government manoeuvring today, Roger, I guess. Indeed. Well, let's pick all these threads up with our guest, Mike Wood, Conservative MP for Dudley South. Mike, thanks for coming on the programme. You're very welcome here. Let me ask you then first, um, the outcome of that vote, of what is a very significant committee, uh, were you pleased by the outcome? I think it's uh, it's a shame that uh, one MP decided to collude with uh, opposition parties, really, to win a vote for his own benefits. As chair, I like uh, Julian. I think he was a very good chair of the Defence Select Committee, but I do think he's done the wrong thing in, uh, in this case. But, but, Mike, there was a reason he did it, and there was a reason that the opposition backed him. Surely... He's more qualified than Chris Grayling for this. He's a former member of this committee. He spent five years there and he was on the uh, he was the chair, in fact, of the Defence Select Committee as well. So lots of intelligence and security experience. Of course. And obviously, Chris Grayling, former uh, Lord Chancellor, former Shadow Home Secretary. So it's not as though he's entirely new to the uh, security role either. So, I mean, I, th- I think uh, Chris certainly had the credentials to do this. I can understand why Julian... I uh, had the personal ambition to put himself forward after, obviously, stepping down from Defence Select Committee. But I do think that um, that actually work, working with the opposition, really, to try and win the vote in your own favour rather than 
obviously for uh, uh, for your colleague, I, I think will it's not really very uh, uh, being part of the team, is it? Yeah, but being part of the team surely isn't the point. I mean, this is a massively important committee where surely the quality of the person leading it is more important than any uh, team loyalty. And in this case, I mean, we do know that Chris Grayling has a reputation for not perhaps being the most successful minister. I mean, that's pretty much widely admitted. And your former leader, Theresa May, stood up in Parliament to say that she thought he was the wrong choice for the job. So uh, you can hardly accuse Julian Lewis of being out of out of kilter with what the, the, the mood is. No, I, I, I think Chris has obviously got the uh, the experience. I actually, I think uh, when you're speaking to him on security issues, as I've done, uh, he is very well uh, informed. I think he would have been a very good chair. Obviously, the decision is now being taken, so the committee now needs to operate with its new uh, new chairman, Julian. I hope Julian does a fantastic job uh, moving forward. And obviously, he is the new chair. But I, I do think that um, obviously within Parliament, there is a uh, an element of collective responsibility that means that obviously within political parties, uh, you do have to work together. That's really how electoral systems work because it's how voters can also hold governments and political parties to account, assuming that uh, they work broadly in the same uh, the same direction. Um, so I, I think it was. Uh, pretty unremarkable that Julian had the uh, whip withdrawn last night. So he, he will now be chairing that, obviously, as an independent MP outside of the Parliamentary Conservative Party. That doesn't make any difference to uh, the way he can uh, obviously operate really within Parliament, but certainly within uh, that committee. So we now just need this committee to get on with this important work. As you say, this report is going to be published uh, before Parliament rises for the recess next week. Uh, and I'm sure there'll be plenty of people looking forward to seeing what's in this. Do, do you think it's going to tar your party, as many have reported? Uh, sorry? Do you think it's going to tar your party, as many have reported? Well, I mean, I, I haven't seen the report, so I haven't a clue what uh, what's inside it. So, I mean, it will obviously be reported. And uh, once it's published, then uh, uh, we, we can see what the implications are uh, for whether it's political parties, whether it's campaign groups are, once we actually see the contents, I don't think I'm in a position to speculate and say I've got no advanced knowledge of what's in that report. Uh, I'm only picking up exactly the same as you are from the media. Well, let's talk about a different report, because, I mean, there's a little bit of um, uh, sitting on reports seems to be going on. Perhaps one could see, at least it feels like that, because Priti Patel, uh, as you know, was accused by one of those senior civil servants uh, that she was working with of bullying. A report was done. The report seems to have, well, gone missing. I mean, it's one of those situations where doubt comes because people don't know. Um, no, I don't, I don't think that uh, that's the case. Obviously, the... Uh... Uh, the cabinet secretary was uh, working on this report, and I'm, I'm not sure that this report will be uh, published. Um, and this, the stories this morning are the first I've heard that this uh, report is supposed to have uh, gone missing. Obviously, it's. Uh, um, I think it's been taken very seriously at uh, top levels of government. I think Pritch has been a very effective Home Secretary. As I think people will know I work extremely close with, closely with her, so I'm very limited as to what I can say on uh, on uh, that that report. But again, it's not one that I've seen 
uh, seen the contents on, so I'm not in a position to talk about what might or might not be in, uh, contained inside. Okay, well, let's put this to one side then. I've got to ask you about tax as well, because you've got lots of papers today yeah. speculating that the Chancellor laying the ground for tax hikes. Do you think that would be a good move as a way to pay down some of this debt? Well, clearly, I mean, this out, uh, this outbreak has been enormously expensive, both in terms of the uh, the additional cost, the money being spent through whether it's the NHS, whether it's social services, whether it's obviously the logistics necessary to get PPE around the country, and of course, all the business support and the unemployment support. At the same time, revenue into the Treasury uh, is down very sharply. So we're looking probably at about £300 billion worse financial picture this year than we were expecting at the start of the year. And ultimately, that will need to be paid for. But, I mean, I think that um, we, we need to be very careful before uh, before raising taxes because we know that that has a big impact on, uh, on demand. Uh, it will stifle economic recovery. What we really need to see is the country... Uh, the growing its way uh, out of uh, out of recession that we need to be uh, encouraging consumers back into shops, encourage business confidence and in investments. That's very much what uh, the Chancellor's package last week was uh, aimed around. Obviously, with the measures on VAT, on stamp duty, as well as the support for uh, for workers returning after furlough. This needs to be a growth led. Uh, recovery we can't do it purely by uh, by uh, raising taxes because but, that will just reduce economic activity yeah but my, i mean there, there are a lot of jobless out there we know that from this morning's figures warnings that are going to be far far more so that's going to have a double effect of both having to be supported uh, by the state in some form but also not earning and putting money into the tax uh, pot so i mean the, the sums don't really add up do they that's the fundamental problem well, I, I think that there's an element of um, of this deficit that we are going to have to treat as a one-off that we absorb into, obviously the uh, the national debt. What we need to work on is stopping that becoming a structural uh, deficit, a, a longer-term uh, trend. I think if you're increasing personal taxes and increasing uh, taxes on businesses operating, then the effect on that is almost always to reduce economic activity and to reduce growth. We've seen that right around the the, the world. And obviously the contrary is, is true. If we have greater economic activity, more growth, then that creates more jobs and, effect, uh, and more, uh, more prosperity. And it also obviously helps get the money back into uh, the public finances. So I think that needs to be where the, the focus is. We're not going to be able to balance the budget this year. We're not going to balance the budget uh, next year, but hopefully by uh, by getting back to high levels uh, of economic growth, then that is how you get the nation's finances you know, back into a healthy state. Uh, very briefly, capital gains tax, is that something that could raise a bit of money whilst not affecting everyday people like your own constituents, I presume? I mean, I think that's obviously one of the areas uh, the Chancellor will be looking at. It, it still has its own consequences because obviously a lot of capital gains are um, associated with how uh, how businesses are bought and sold as, um, yeah. 
which does restrict a fairly key part of economic activity, although yeah. I would agree it's probably less damaging than if it had been you know, increases in VAT, increases right. in income tax, increases in business rates. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. Let's have a look at what else is making news in the world of politics. We start with an old name, Shamima Bega, one of the three East London schoolgirls who travelled to Syria to join the so-called Islamic State. She's going to be allowed to return to the UK to challenge the removal of her British citizenship. Remember, the government stripped her of that when she was found uh, a, a while back in that camp in, uh, in, in under Islamic State rule. It follows a ruling from the Court of Appeal, uh, which said that she'd been denied a fair hearing because she couldn't make her case from the refugee camp where she is located. She was 20 years old when she left the UK in February 2015. So quite an ordeal. And we see another twist in that story today. Yes, it's going to be one that runs and runs and runs, I think, that hugely politically significant, uh, because there are a lot of others in a similar position whose uh, cases, I guess, it will also inform. Uh, meanwhile, let's have a quick look at the economy, because almost 650,000 workers lost their jobs between March and June during the virus lockdown. Figures from the Office of National Statistics show the rate of redundancy slowed last month, but that is expected to increase again. Meanwhile, average weekly earnings fell for the first time since 2014. The Shadow Chancellor, Annalise Dodds, says the consumer confidence is in urgent need of a boost. I really want to see as many parts of our economy functioning back to capacity as possible. But I think for that to happen, we need to ensure that there's as much confidence as possible. I mean, this doesn't just apply to people returning to work. It, of course, also applies to consumers. But then the Resolution Foundation is saying the true scale of joblessness could be much worse. It says that the UK's way of reporting the data doesn't actually really reflect the crisis. It says the drop in average hours worked is the best way of measuring it. It also argues that jobless claims could include some people who are eligible for support while still employed and therefore not give the full picture of the current crisis. So furlough doing a lot of the heavy lifting in these figures. And still talking about joblessness, British Chambers of Commerce have got a survey showing almost a third of businesses expect to cut jobs in the next three months. At the same time, just 12% of the 7,400 firm survey plan to actually increase the size of their workforce. So overall, a lot of economic concerns for the government to address. And then, here's an interesting one, Boris Johnson thinking about the move of Parliament. This is something that's being debated this week. He suggested that MPs could work from York while the Palace of Westminster undergoes renovation. Uh, in a letter seen by the BBC, the Prime Minister saying the government was considering at least establishing a hub in the northern city. So slightly vaguer wording there. Uh, other locations that have been proposed include Richmond House in, uh, in, in Westminster and the QE2 Centre and City Hall. So all very central London locations. The move expected to take place around 2025. But interesting to note, York, birthplace of Guy Fawkes, isn't it? 
Well, a bit more than that. It was also a major centre <laughs> of uh, the Kingdom of, of York in it's the Anglo-Saxon right, times. Yeah. You know, come on, there's other reasons. I think it was the capital in medieval times at various points as well, when uh, various kings were traipsing up towards Scotland to try and hammer the Scots. But anyway, let's chew over some of what we've been talking about. And first of all, uh, we'll bring in Bloomberg opinion columnist Therese Raphael, and let's talk... Therese, first of all, we heard earlier in the programme from uh, the uh, Conservative MP Mike Wood in response to that issue about Julian Lewis, the chairmanship of the Security and Intelligence Committee. It does seem to be very, very vexed, but it's pretty unusual to get someone into a position like that and then say, right, you're not part of the Conservative Party anymore. I mean, that's uh, he becomes a kind of loose cannon, doesn't he? Yeah, I think it's hugely uncomfortable for uh uh, 10 Downing Street. They clearly were blindsided by the election of Lewis. Uh, Grayling was the you know, was the sort of hand-picked uh, chairman of the committee from Downing Street's point of view, and uh, and Lewis sort of swept in um, you know unexpectedly, and that's created a a real problem for the government because I mean first of all, it's a problem of credibility because if if uh, if Boris Johnson was seen to want Grayling in charge, you know, how was it that he didn't get his way here? Um, but, you know, it also creates this very uncomfortable sense that this committee that has, you know, for as, as Malcolm Riskin, the former defense secretary and chairman of the committee, said this morning on BBC Radio, this committee that has been so uh, sort of independent, above politics, uh, very, uh, you know, very sort of um, uh, almost sequestered from that, from those kinds of interference, has now been co-opted by uh, Ten Downing Street. Is you know, it's an uncomfortable thing for for the prime minister to have to deal with. And uh, you know, now he's got a a very highly regarded conservative MP who's just been uh, had the whip taken away. And and I'm sure for a lot of Tory MPs, that's also uncomfortable. And finally, I guess what I would say is that it it sort of takes the scab off a wound that was freshly healed uh, after Johnson's disbanding of Parliament last year, uh, which had left you know, a lot of people feeling that he, he sort of disregarded the oversight and scrutiny function of Parliament. And, and now that just that whole question seems to be thrown up once again by this. Uh, yeah, I mean, we were speaking to Mike Wood, a Conservative MP, a moment ago, and he was very uh, with the government on this one. But it seems like there are others who may not quite be uh, as pleased by this move. And then on top of that, you have Priti Patel, the report on her bullying allegations being suppressed. Uh, wh what are they trying to achieve here? Well, I think they're just trying to avoid the embarrassment of a report that, you know, could potentially criticize to tell and give credence to some of the charges that that, uh, that said that she had been guilty of bullying. I mean, what's interesting is when, when Michael Gove, you know, he originally told MPs that the uh, that the investigation should be concluded as quickly as possible. And, you know, now that seems to be um, delayed. And it's not even clear we'll see that report. Boris Johnson's under no... A legal obligation to publish it. We have Parliament uh, standing for the, the summer recess at the end of next week, so they may decide to either put it out just before the recess or not publish it at all. Um, and it, of course, it raises questions about what's exactly in that report. You know, the BBC quotes uh, unnamed sources saying, uh, you know, they found some evidence against her, others either saying that uh, that the report uh, sort of clears her. So you know, the, the hard thing for Boris Johnson is she is the most senior woman in government. She's a 
senior officials very important, obviously, um, on a, a number of levels as, as Britain sorts out its post-Brexit immigration policy. So the last thing he wants, really, is to have to apologize or to lose his, uh, uh, his home secretary right now. And what about the economics? Because you've heard a lot about job losses and prospective job losses, a lot of figures coming out, but also a sense of how the government's going to pay for trying to ease the economy, or, or as, as one, one MP might say, growing back into prosperity. Uh, that's what Mike Wood seemed to be talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, how feasible is that unless there is some form of increase in taxes? Right. I mean, the root of the problem here, of course, is the manifesto pledge to keep a triple lock on tax rises, so no tax increases on income tax, VAT, or national insurance. And that came, obviously, before this massive increase in, in spending uh, due to the pandemic. But the government has not abandoned its commitment to uh, to, to not increase taxes. The, this is a conservative government that's very committed to that. Um, and it's obviously important to the traditional Tory voter base, but not to its new voters uh, in the Midlands and North who, uh, you know, would would probably like to see more taxes on the wealthy to help pay for some of the public services Johnson has promised. And, you know, the question is, how does Rishi Sunak, who's, you know, been given such um, high marks for responding uh, with, you know, with pretty generous spending programs across the board, how does he pay for this? Um, So he's announced this week that they will review the capital gains tax. And that just seems to me, I mean, maybe it's the firing of a starting gun and other taxes will be reviewed as well. But there's just not a lot of extra income they will probably get from capital gains. There's, of course, a risk that you end up discouraging risk-taking and investment, which is exactly the opposite of what you want to do um, at, at this moment. And um, obviously it will unnerve some of you know traditional fiscal conservatives who, who will be worried that other tax hikes are to follow. Uh, but you know, they're also is some sense in reviewing a tax that has in some ways become um, a way of avoiding main income tax. A lot of things that are uh, that, that fall under capital gains should probably not be categorized as that. So it will be an interesting review to watch, but I think what it's telling us is that the government is going to have to look at revenue-raising measures if the economy is going to shrink, because that's going to mean that the structural deficit um, is is wider than anyone expected, and, and they, they just can't simply buy uh, borrow away for that. And then you've got the jobs numbers today. So jobless claims Mm. falling for the first time in five months sounds great. But then as we were talking about a moment ago, if you look at it by working hours, they have plummeted. So is this the best way to uh, to assess this data? Yeah, I don't think anybody believes that the uh, that the unemployment level is what the headline unemployment rate says right now, which is, you know, still quite low. I think um, across the economy, as the number of hours worked suggests, we are seeing a real cutback uh, in labor, and um, you know that will only become clear when the government uh, tapers its support for nine million workers under the current furlough scheme, and that starts in August, but doesn't really happen until October. So then I think we're going to see just how bad this gets. And as you you, uh, stated earlier, uh, the British Chamber of Commerce says a third of 
companies that, that it surveyed is expecting to to cut job numbers. Um, and you know, a lot is going to depend on how comfortable people feel getting out and about, getting back into the shops, uh, resuming some uh, some consumption, and that's tied up in uh, to 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 some very you know big uncertainties. Is, you know, whether there's a second spike, uh, how quickly we get a vaccine, or if we get a vaccine. So all these things are very hard to predict. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.